Oh my god, yeah. that is like amazing and kind of eerie for people to see all at the same time. Yeah. Oh, you know when people get to it in the museum, you can hear the gasp. Yeah. When they walk around the corner and see it, you know. Hello and welcome to the UK Surf Show. We are your hosts. I'm Pete. And I'm Leighton. On this episode, we speak to Jim Kempton, the surfing godfather. <laughs> this guy, Jim Kempton, has... Well, it's just an incredible career in the surfing industry from Surfer Magazine to Quicksilver Crossing, Billabong, Transworld, President of the California Surf Museum, uh, Surf Rider Foundation Advisory Board, as well as being on the board of Surfing America. It's just unbelievable. I just can't even comprehend. It's like four lifetimes worth of a career. It's it's more than that. It's just it's crazy. absolutely insane, the amount of things he's done in the surfing industry and the amount of places he's discovered. As yeah, well. discovered surf spots, yeah. It's a really cool, really cool chat we have with him, didn't we? Yeah, I, I feel like we could have done, we could have probably done about eight or ten episodes just on yeah. Jim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just on like each job role and where that took him around the world. Yeah, absolutely incredible and a super lovely guy as well just another real nice down to i mean like i said in that there's some people you could speak to which you know you could say you've been editor of a magazine you've been at quicksilver you've been at billabong and they could be quite you know i've been this and it's just so humble and just mm. was just felt so incredibly lucky to yeah. have the career that he's had and he was right and like the main part of his career like the really successful part of it was you know, when, when surfing really, really took off in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, so late it, 70s, early 80s, when it all changed and yeah. became so what it is today. He's a major, major figure in surf industry. Yeah. Before we jump into this interview, don't forget, head over to North Core and you can get 15% off anything you order. And the code is now changed to Surf Show. That's S-U-R-F-S-H-O-W. And that is valid till the 30th of September 2021. Let's go. Hi, this is Jim Kempton. Hi, Jim. Well, it's an absolute honour to have you on the show. So you have the most impressive surfing CV, I think, of anybody on this planet. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> so what I'll do, I'll get Pete to read it out because we had to write it all down because I couldn't remember it all. So I'll get Pete so, to read it out. If I miss anything, I do apologise, but I've got... <laughs> Editor-in-Chief of Surf Magazine, Quicksilver, Director at Quicksilver Crossing, Billabong Media Director, Transworld Publications, President of the California Surfing Museum, Surfrider Foundation Advisory Board, as well as on the board of Surfing America. Is there anything I missed? Oh, an no, author. I, I, uh, <laughs> nothing else matters anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and, yeah, and obviously author of your new book, which we'll, we'll come on to. So what an unbelievable work life you've had in surfing yeah i think i've probably been the luckiest guy in the world period but uh you know i'll, I'll take it <laughs> uh, so how, how did it all start well funnily enough you're going to find me far more relevant to the uh uk program than you might think one of my first experiences outside of the united states uh surfing on my own was i i went to school in in england back just before the meter hit the kill the dinosaurs and um <laughs> there was a thriving uh surf culture in cornwall um even at that time and uh i uh, i was going to school in sussex uh, university in sussex yeah. and uh um studying studying english and um and so every weekend i would take the train down to cornwall and and surf newquay and and uh port levin and st ives and and uh, i got to know all the guys that were there then who are probably all long gone, but uh, but I know some are still there. Roger Mansfield, are you guys out of Are you guys out of Cornwall? We're we're uh, probably about an hour and forty five minutes, maybe two hours from Cornwall. Cornwall, so we're we're closer to North Devon. Oh, got it. Well, that's beautiful, and I surf Devon as well, and and Wales too, Mumbles and and that whole area. So, um, um, but uh, one of my one of my really old and dear friends is Roger Mansfield who I know has recently or sometime fairly recently written a, um, a history of, of uh, British surfing. So uh, that, that's how far back I go. Wow, um, that's, a, that's a, it's going to be so lovely for the UK listeners to hear that, that somebody with all the experience that you've had in surf media has 
like kind of surfed over here and spent a good amount of time doing it and in all the places that they all love how how did you find surfing over here cold Um, (laughs) but you know know, um one of the really really amazing things which i'm i'm sure you know but one of the most amazing things is how warm it gets in the summer i mean when i say that i mean it's very very comfortable in a wetsuit for it was very comfortable in a wetsuit for me in the summer because of the gulf stream you know hitting the tip of of cornwall the way it does yeah and uh well and that that whole southern end of england and um it was you know so that was that was really beautiful and i you know the 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 English surfers, I surfed a, a lot in, in Biarritz and, and the whole Basque country area um, for years and years after that as well. But, but you know, English surfers are just so keen and so passionate and so dedicated. It's kind of amazing. And, uh, and, and the surf is really good, although I think the surf, the discoveries of new, you know, ledges like Port, you know, Port Talon and Port Levin um, has has really grown and that there's a lot more spots now than there were. We surfed mostly beach breaks in those days. Yeah. Yeah. There's, <laughs> um, there's a load of them now, even like if you go over to Ireland as well and, you know, Mullet oh, yeah. and stuff like that, there's just huge waves. And the, I think mixture of, you know, the, the culture in the UK growing and people talking and then, you know, you've got stuff like Google maps now. So I don't think, realistically there's any such thing as a secret spot anymore you know you can look on google maps and you yeah. go oh look there's something there and i think that's helped massively and there's just there's just surfers <laughs> everywhere in the uk now yeah yeah and so how did um surfing in the uk compared to like the us how, how did you find it were, were we up there with, with the quality of waves or the the quality of surf i mean you get a lot of you know you get a lot of north swell <laughs> you know out of the north it's a huge swell pattern and you know, same, the, the, and it's the same one that you know that hits France. So, uh, you know, the Channel Islands. I mean, I actually surfed in in, in Ireland as well, never in Scotland, but uh, but I surfed in Ireland uh, just a bit. Um, but it was back. Uh, God, I'm trying to even. I haven't surfed there for you know twenty, thirty years now. So yeah, uh, um, it's hard for me to remember. Um, but but it wasn't the places that was well we never surfed the cliffs of war that was that seemed absolutely out of the question you know, <laughs> as are so many places I went to when we were younger you know we 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 went when we went to Tahiti we looked at we, we you know we looked at Chopu and you know watched it for about half an hour and said well that's unsurfable so let's go somewhere else you know um, <laughs> we know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. We know that feeling. We go, we go out on a day which is over eight foot, and we go, "No, that's unsurfable." We go home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, we remember. We were uh, the only thing I ever remember about about uh, like you know big wave places. There's one right side of outside of Saint Jean de Luz, which I know you guys all know as well. And all we remember about it is that the you know that that uh, all the boats, all the fishing boats you know, avoided that area like the plague. Yeah. <laughs> Never occurred to us that that was the reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's got to be. So um, you were born in Guam, is that right? Yes. Yes, half a day. Yeah, my half a day. Yeah, my parents were in civil service, so we traveled around a lot and, and uh, lived in, in, in various places in the South Pacific and, and uh, Southeast Asia when I was growing up. So did you, you grew up surfing or was there a certain point where you, you can look back and you go, actually, that's where I started surfing? No, I, we definitely, you know, we, I, I started surfing in 1962, which just only, only in, indicates how really old I am. But, <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, and, and it was, it, it was funny because it came really quickly because of Hawaii, you know, everyone, pe- people, you know, the way you, the way you flew to Guam was through Hawaii. Um, because in those days they didn't have direct flights, so you know everyone in Hawaii had already been surfing a long time, and so that that transferred over to Guam quite quite quickly. Yeah, your starting um, kind of surfing life started as a as a young boy then in in, in Guam was it or, or was it? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's where I learned to surf Talafufu Bay. You sound like you might know something about it since you knew half a day, but maybe that's just like uh, Ohio Gazimus. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we'd love to go. That's, I, since doing this podcast, we get told of so many beautiful places around the world and just like, we're definitely going there one day. We're yeah. So you've just right. added another one yeah. to the list. Our, <laughs> our, our surf trip, I think I think we've got to be going up into the hundreds of thousands of pounds of cost now where, <laughs> yeah. where if you look yeah. at a map of the places we want to go or the places we've been told about, it's just insane. So if we like, you know, and then you said you know you grew up there, and then then you moved to California. Moved to California in 1965, 
and uh, you know, sort of right at the height of the first boom of surfing, and uh, uh, moved to San Diego, and and uh, so surfed La Jolla and and Pacific Beach and Ocean Beach and all those places. Went to the 1966 World Surf Contest that was held in in San Diego. Uh, met Duke Hanamoku uh, while he was there, and you know, of course, all the other surfers were were not available to like, but Duke was there you know, shaking yeah. everyone's hand. In fact, that's how I talked my mom and dad and driving me down there. I was only 12 or something. But when I told my mom that Duke Moku was going to be there, she said, okay, we'll go. <laughs> Nobody else met Joy Cabell, Jock Sutherland, you know, Joyce Hoffman. That nah, didn't matter at all. I didn't know who they were. But, man, Duke Moku was good enough to drive drive down to the beach. <laughs> so, uh, well, he, he was the most famous surfer of the time, wasn't he? He was. Oh, yeah. Well, and my parents knew him from, from you know, from the Olympics and yeah. swimming. Yeah. You know, he was the Michael Phelps of of uh, of that era and, and more. Yeah. So then, through that time in California, you you were surfing, obviously. And how did it come about that you started at Surfer Magazine? So, so it's kind of a um, it's a um, a long convoluted story, but actually, the the whole England part of it and and my travels really helped because I'd been traveling, going surfing uh, as many places as I could get to. So I had been a lot of places in the world, and um, and so Steve Pesman, who was the 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 then the editor and publisher of of Surfer, I, I just happened to in, in those days, you know, it's it's so different for from everything now. But you know, in those days, in just about any business, particularly in surfing, you could just show up and walk in the door, and uh, no appointment needed. There were just so so many fewer people yeah. than there are now. And uh, so I walked in and, and, you know, got an audience with, with, the, with the publisher of the magazine. And he said, hey, why don't we try and do this thing called the Surf Report? I've had this idea about the Surf Report and you've traveled all over the world. And, you know, people that can send us, you know, Surf Report information every day. So um, I said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's, let's start. And, that sounds brilliant. Um, <laughs> That's the dream job for a surfer, isn't it, really? It's just unbelievable. So, so you know, I mean, it, it, I, I don't recommend this to anybody who's, who's you know, trying to get a job now, graduated from college or just starting out, because I think it's, it's, the world has changed. But in those days, it, it actually did pay off to pursue the things that you really loved. Yeah. And most of that was because people that were older had no clue about how to market to this gigantic youth market that had just arrived. Yeah. And they didn't know about it in music, you know, they didn't know they didn't know the difference between Jefferson Airplane and the peanut butter conspiracy, you know. <laughs> I mean, they were <laughs> clueless. So they had to hire people that were in that demographic bulge to you know, to be able to market properly. And it was the same with surfing, you know, there was just so little known and there was such a huge kind of unknown, untapped market. I'll tell you a story about England that I know you guys will enjoy and your and your audience will enjoy. But when I was going to school over there, the King's Road still is, but the King's Road was the, the fashion you know, cool street to, to be on. And, and as you know, England has like a summer for three weeks. And, and uh, <laughs> I had gone, I had gone into London from school and uh, I was, and I'd worn one of my Hawaiian shirts because it was one of the only times that you could wear it was, you know, in, in, in late May when the, you know, it was really, a really beautiful weather. And I was, but the, but the deal is you had to get back to school on the train or else you'd get locked, you know, caught in London, and it was really expensive to have to stay in London. So I was rushing back. I had gotten to the, the, the Sloan Square tube station, and I was walking down the, you know, to to the tube. And this guy stopped me at the platform. He said, "I'll give you fifty quid for that shirt." <laughs> I'm really pleased you said quit then as well. Right? <laughs> look, I look the look on my face. He must have thought you understand. So he said, "I'll give you fifty pounds sterling for that shirt." And I said, "I know what a quid is, but what do you want my shirt for?" He said, "You're from California, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "You're a surfer, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "I want that shirt." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I, 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 and you know, I'm calculating now in my mind at that time." 50 pounds was $125. It was the opposite of how it is now. It was, you know, the pound was very strong. And so I'm calculating. And in those days, there was this book, Fromers on $5 a day. Yeah. <laughs> Europe on $5 a day. And the joke among students was, if you were paying $5 a day to live in Europe, you were new. It was like, you know, nobody, I mean, that was for tourists. Yeah, yeah. So, 
you know, I'm, I'm making this calculation. I'm thinking that's like three months. In, that's the summer in beer. It's you know, <laughs> I'm gonna be out of school in like, in, in like three weeks. And, I, and, and, you know, it's, it's an entire, an entire summer in, in, in France. So I said to him, Hey, look, I'd really love to do this, but I don't have another shirt. And he took the 50 pound note out of his pocket and he held it up to me and he said, I want that shirt. Take it off right now. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like I a really forced two and a half hours on the train to Sussex with no shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased you ended up doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and did, uh, then did you spend the whole summer in Biarritz after that? I did. I spent most of it. In the, but the really great thing was, one, I, I realized right then, this is like 1974. So what I realized is, is that, that, one, this surfing thing was a lot bigger than just a bunch of us that were, you know, traveling around outside the United States and, and surfing. And, and the second thing was I knew, I knew what I was going to write my, my business master's thesis on. I was getting an MBA then. And I thought, wow, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back and I'm going to go. Because in, in California, you could buy Hawaiian shirts at the thrift stop, shops, which is where everybody surfed. Be, I mean, where everybody shopped because there wasn't any there wasn't there wasn't a, a surfing market you know yeah. there was there wasn't an industry yet nobody was making clothes there were board shorts but that was it so when i got back i went to every single thrift store from you know from <laughs> san francisco to san diego and bought and bought hawaiian shirts for 50 cents a piece and put them in a giant container and shipped them to london and i, and I financed my surf travels for about four years like that oh my god that is so cool <laughs> <laughs> and 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 and, uh, and and I don't know if you guys know Roger Mansfield. I don't know if you know of him or or you know, know of him. Know but him. Yeah, don't know him. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a really fabulous guy, and he actually wrote a story about it from the English point of view of me showing up in Newquay with a with a Volkswagen bus full of Hawaiian shirts back at the, in those days. So anyway, I, that's and that's so that's how I sort of financed my travels to other places, to you know, to Australia and to. Uh, uh, Japan and to uh, all over Europe and and you know every year in Hawaii and 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 so that's and that so then when I ran into to, to Steve Pesman in in uh, at Surfer, it was how I got my first gig there and and it really it really didn't pan out because he never got it together but as it turned out, he needed uh, an editor, and uh, and so after after a few weeks of working together, he offered me a job. And of course, you know, kind of like, you know, in those days when you were young and stupid, um, you, you sort of always felt like you had to play hard to get, like with, with a girl that you thought liked you. You know, <laughs> never wanted to show them that you were too interested, you know, yeah. because uh, so so I said, well, let me think about it. This is like a Friday. And I said, let me think about it. You know, and I, I'll let you know on Monday. So of course, driving home, I'm you know I'm 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 just giggling, laughing, thinking, God, they're going to pay me. Doesn't he know I do this for free? And yeah, that's that's my first thing. And then the second thing is, oh my God, what if he hires somebody between now and then, and I've blown this, you know, this dream job? So the whole weekend I was stressing, you know, just just I mean, you know, waking up at night in a cold sweat, going, oh God, I'm going to lose this. He's already hired someone else. I'm never going to get there. Um, so anyway, I was waiting. Uh, I was waiting until the nine o'clock, you know, hour hit, so I could call and uh, and see if the job was still there. And sure enough, he hadn't hired anybody over the weekend. <laughs> and uh, so there I was. Well, I suppose and, at uh, that point, there's not going to be many people he's going to come in contact with that has done the amount of travel that you have in surfing as well. So you were kind of a bit unique, really, Tim. So it, it was. You know, I, I tell people that people always ask me, "How did you become?" You know, how did you go from from you know becoming a, an associate editor to to being the publisher of the magazine in three years? And I said, you know, I had the weirdest combination of skill set that you could ever imagine for that time. I had a degree in English with with an emphasis in journalism. I had an MBA, and I'd been surfing for twenty years. And yeah. you know, probably, probably there was only one person in the whole world that had that weird combination. You know, <laughs> yeah. business people don't know about English, and English people don't know about surfers, and surfers don't, you know, don't don't write and read. So, like, I was, I was like, uh, uh, very unique. So you, that wasn't planned then. None of that was planned. That just that just all all happened. It was almost like it, the the stars aligned for you and gave you it, just the perfect job as a surfer, really. It really did. It was. It was a complete. I had no idea where I was going 
with anything. You know, I was just doing what I like doing. And, uh, and so that's why I think so many people in my generation, you know, always say, oh, follow your bliss, you know, do do what you love. But really it was because of the time. I don't think that that's something that will always fit for all generations and all and, and you know, all situations. Yeah, I was, I was sort of going to say that because if <laughs> if you'd been born in, say, 1980 or something like that. It, yeah, too it, late. Yeah, too late. Nothing, you know, that wouldn't have happened. The, well, yeah. way, the way things work, like if even if you were born, say, twenty years ago, now with the way social media and everything is online, none of those right. things would happen anymore. They're, you know, you, your whole career would be completely different. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you might have been a blogger. <laughs> <laughs> right. So how how long were you at Surfers Magazine for then? So I was there for about ten years. I was there from actually more. I was I started in seventy seven. And was there until '86. Wow! So you saw a real, the real boom in surfing then, and especially like the early '80s. You know, it was the I, I call myself like a, 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 I'm part of the bridge generation. You know, I, I started, I learned, we learned on longboards when there was nothing but longboards, and then we had to make the transition to learning how to surf shortboards, which which was was really hard. You know, for for most people, and and, uh, and and especially because initially, nobody knew what worked with shortboards. Everyone had you know refined longboards to this you know to to really working. You wanted a nose rider, or you wanted a loose turning board, or you wanted a you know a board with speed and down rails. You know, all of that was known. But the moment that you shortened the boards up, no one knew what was going on, and and they were kind of following the Greeno, uh, George Greeno um, concept of you know a beveled bottom, you know on, on a on a kneeboard yeah. because that was what he was using, which of course had nothing to do with standing up. And, uh, and I remember one of my very first jobs that was working at surfboards Hawaii in, in, in Encinitas, California is where the, the shop was. And, uh, you know, in the, and, and then in the afternoons, we'd all go down and, and Billy Hamilton, um, who was a major surf star at the time, um, was shaping there. So he had just gotten back from, from Australia with, with a lot of the guys and, and had, you know, met McTavish and was shaping V bottoms. And so we'd go down to Moonlight Beach right down the, down the street from the shop and, and we'd watch him surf, you know, and of course he'd go out on these boards and we'd just think, Oh my God, we got to get one of those. It's unbelievable how those things work. Right. Not really realizing that Billy could have been riding a telephone pole and looked elegant, you know. <laughs> I was just going to say that same thing. It's not, you know, you see someone riding a board and you think, like, oh, my God, I'm going to surf like that if I get that board. And, yeah, don't worry yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that probably set our surfing back about six months. Um, but, uh, uh, but, you know, eventually, of course, you know, people figured out pretty quickly what, you know, what worked and what didn't. And, uh, and, and so then we, you know, we made the transition to, to, to shorter boards, but the era that, that era from like sort of 77 to 86 was so pivotal in so many ways because it, um, you know, it was the beginning of the, of, of the, uh, professional surfing yeah. circuit, you know, that had never existed before that. It was the, it was the, the advent of both the twin fin and the thruster. Uh, which then, you know, the thruster was was the board for twenty years. After that, nobody ever surfed anything else yeah. until you know, kind of the turn of the millennium. And and it was, um, it was a real change socially, you know, from sort of the California dominance, which had been sort of surfing's centerpiece, um, combined with Hawaii, of course, yeah. um, up until that time, and then sort of switching over to the Australian dominance and the you know and the South African influence and and you know and, and worldwide you know, kind of surfing going more worldwide and, and then the huge surf industry explosion, you know, to serve that marketplace. So it was a real pivotal, real exciting time. It was, it was a fabulous time to, to be involved with the, with, with the surf industry and, and uh, a great time to live through. Yeah. It sounds like, like you, you, just you were said. there just like the perfect time on, on everything then, weren't you? Like what, a, as a surfer, what a, a amazing thing to be part of that surf industry right at the start of the explosion that is just so lucky yeah. it? was um was transworld was that part of surfer magazine or was that separate to surfer magazine no it it it, it eventually became you know they bought it but that was that was only a few years ago that was they weren't even in existence i mean the, the skateboard transworld skateboarding wasn't even started then it didn't start until until the, the 90s 
Yeah. So yeah. Uh, after the Surfer magazine, then when when you left there, um, where did you go from there? Was that onto Quicksilver after that? No. So then, so I, I'm I'm mistaken about that. It was actually uh, um, Transworld had started um, earlier than that. I went I went uh, to Trans Transworld from from Surfer, and uh, they had just started the Snowboard magazine, and uh, that's another sort of part, I guess, part of the story that I didn't I didn't mention, but they brought me in because of my publishing experience because Transworld had really been developed. I mean, they were all really bright, really talented people, but they weren't really uh, knowledgeable about publishing because the reason it had been started is that, is that Thrasher, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well. Thrasher was such a kind of wild, you know, crazy in their minds, negative view of, of skateboarding yeah. and the whole industry was afraid that you know that, that parents and even kids were going to be turned off by the by that and and that the, their you know their product wasn't going to be able to sustain so they all said well you know larry balmo who was starting it if you if you start this magazine we'll all support you with with ads which is all you need for a magazine right yeah. you know, yeah, really yeah. you need readers if you've got enough advertisers you can make money just straight away but they didn't really know much about it, so they were just making the magazine because they were they 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 had no they had no real risk. So when they started, when they wanted to start um, snowboarding magazine and expand, they needed some publishing experience. So they offered me a gig there, and uh, and and so we got to <laughs> we got to travel to almost every single one of the things that we of course needed to do is open up all the all of the the snow resorts to snowboarding. Many of them were really resistant to it because it was kind of the skateboarder element and it was the young kids and wild and crazy. And they wanted the 50 year old, you know, doctor or airline pilot with his family on, on Thanksgiving to come, you know? And, uh, so, so one of our jobs was to go to all these resorts and try to talk them into allowing snowboarding to be on the mountain. So I got to trap for like, Three or four years, I got to travel the entire winter just going to all these resorts and snowboarding. Oh wow! And, uh, we went from you know from Mammoth to to Stowe in in you know New Hampshire and and everywhere in between and and to you know all of the all of the resorts in in Canada and Colorado no, and Utah and and Montana. It was fabulous. You've just had the best jobs. Me <laughs> <laughs> and Peter Sattler for good. We've definitely zigged when we should have zagged <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh as i say i i i, I really feel lucky uh, because none of that was was of my sort of i didn't i didn't set out with any any career path or knowledge of that all of that just sort of fell in and and uh you know it obviously it helped to have some to have some education and some and, and some business background and uh an ability to to at least be to to be competent in in your writing yeah. Um, but it wasn't something that I that I imagined or that I set a, a career path with. It just it just kind of rolled out. I, I think it, it's it's coming across really nice as well of how humble you are about the whole everything you've done. Like a lot of people could have could have gone the other way and been like, you know, I was editor of Surfer Magazine. I was this and and the fact that you're saying like I was just unbelievably lucky and yeah, really re- really appreciating like the opportunity. You saw the opportunities. It sounds like that that you've been offered and um, it affords you to do the thing you love as a job, which is just amazing isn't it yeah so then then you went on to after that onto quicksilver and if i'm getting it right what i've read about it uh you're more or less responsible for sending quicksilver worldwide well i don't know that's 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 giving me way too much credit but but, <laughs> but um, it's true <laughs> <laughs> no no it was it was really the crossing it was the crossing boat which was the indies trader and uh, and and really the 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 credit for for setting that up was really with Bruce Raymond. Bruce Raymond had been slogging as a, as an executive at at Quicksilver years and years. He went out on a surf trip with Martin Daly, who owned the Indies Trader at the time, and saw all these waves in the Mintawise that that Martin had been surfing. And the next trip he took Tommy Carroll on his birthday. And so they went out and surfed it, and Tommy sent a, a, a you know, a, a, an email out w- with pictures, 
and and uh, you know, three weeks later, Martin had more you know more people wanting to to uh, be on his be on his boat and take him out to the to the surf than he had in his entire year of <laughs> trying to do salvage work yeah. um, out there. And he, by the way, had actually discovered the Mintuais because he owned this salvage boat, and they would go out and and take all the stuff off the wrecks that were left on on the reefs. Yeah. And suddenly he realized the reason that there were so many wrecks there is because people would tie up on the reef at night and then there'd be a six foot swell and throw the boat up onto the, you know, onto the reef and, and tear the bottom out of it. And it was more expensive to, you know, to get it towed back than to just abandon it. Yeah. So um, after a while he realized, God, this is a wave field, you know? And, and so anyway, that's, that's how it started. And then, and then what Bruce decided was that we should take this exploration concept around the world. So, so Quicksilver hired me to kind of be the director of that whole program. Wow. And, uh, and so we spent, I don't know, four years or so traveling, looking, literally looking in every nook and cranny for discovering, a, you know, new waves. And we found about 120 of them. Wow. So, so you're, you find these waves that have never been surfed before and well at least at least not that we knew of you yeah. know i mean who knows who surfed them and 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 uh you know and and been long gone but but they were certainly waves that had never been never been you know identified and and photographed before wow <laughs> i'm just i'm just blown away <laughs> by that thought that's and, and you get paid to do that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like I can't. I, I kind of can't believe it either. <laughs> so we're, you got so much on your CV. We'll skim through it because we could just be here for hours. Yeah, we could really. probably do about eight episodes on you. <laughs> yeah, just, just such... on your career. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then then it was uh, over to Billabong after that as a media director. So I went, yeah, I went to I, I went I went to Billabong and uh, and they asked me to they asked me to come on there. They were they were growing, and uh, and they were and and they were looking for um, media exposure and try to build you know not not so much for the for for the general media so much as to reach uh the social media um market which you know had there was a huge there was a huge need there and and uh and they just needed to feed the beasts like everyone yeah so but i also ended up um running all of their surf camps which was an idea that i pitched to them i actually I, it had actually been bob ignite who owns quicksilver's idea and he had pitched me and said hey would you try and set this up and so i did with quicksilver and uh and then um nobody in the marketing department wanted to underwrite it so bob said god you know i'm embarrassed but you know can't get this thing off the ground so uh but but billabong had heard about it so billabong offered me to do that as well so that was really great because it afforded me to to set up a program called surf with a pro which brought you know Dave Rostovich and and uh, and and you know all of the all of the huge Billabong team Donovan all, all of the guys actually ended up being it Shane Dorian and and uh, uh, Mike Parsons and all of the all of the the writers for Billabong Joel and 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 Mick and Andy everyone eventually went on it and what we would do is just uh, plan a surf trip and then the you know one or two of those pros would come. And we would, and and so we'd fill up the, we'd just fill a surf trip up, and uh, and go to all these different places from the Mintawise to to Central America to South America to you know, Peru, all of these different spots, and 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 bring a pro, and that always filled the trip up. So that was, that was part of my job at at, at Billabong that made it really fun. Wow, what an incredible. I just can't get over it. Actually, every, every every story you're saying about from places you worked, we just sat there afterwards, and I think we could half going into a dream of thinking like, what would that be like? That would that would just be it. That would be the complete dream. Basically, I'm sort of working out your your whole career. I'm going to take back something I said. Your whole career has worked on you going right. I want to surf, and where can I surf best? And how can somebody pay for that for me to do it? <laughs> yeah. And that all started off with the Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> yes, oh, man. In, in in England. So there you go. You know, I have, yeah. I, have, I, have I have the UK to thank for my entire my entire career. <laughs> and then and then we move on to now. So you're you're still president of the uh, California Surfing Museum. I am. You were talking about the the book, and um, and and the reason I, I I bring that up at this moment is because the, the California Surf Museum has a connection to that. In that, about ten years ago, we thought we would do a a major exhibit on women, and so we spent a couple of 
a couple of years researching it. And so we you know, obviously learned a lot about it and, and, and realized that, you know, doing the, the, the history of women's surfing is doing the history of surfing um, because the women were there from the very, very beginning. And so we did it and it was very, it was a, it was a very uh, successful exhibit, maybe, maybe the most successful exhibit we've ever done. Part of, part of that was I, I'm always looking for ways to expand the audience at, at the museum. So I, I came up with this idea that um, we would do swimsuits through all this period, these periods of time, because we had some from the very, very early years in our collection at the, at the museum. And, um, and that would bring a lot of women who might not care that much about surfing, but, you know, they all love fashion. And as it turned out, Jansen had this huge collection of, of antique. They'd kept all their suits from like 1910 onwards that they had. So they had all kinds of stuff. And then you, you go to the vintage the, um, swimwear stuff and there's just piles of stuff there. So anyway, we ended up uh, doing, doing that. And as it turned out, um, that, that brought us our, our biggest exhibit that we have there, which is the, is, is the Bethany Hamilton surfboard. And that happened quite by serendipity as well. I had some really good friends that I went surfing with all the time in, in Mexico when I was going to school in San Diego and, uh, then lost track of everybody, you know, when you, when you start traveling all over the world, because in those days, the only way you could connect with people is by letter. So once you lost their address, that was it, yeah. <laughs> you know, they were gone from your, from your, your connections. And so anyway, I ran into one of them down in Costa Rica and we we're laughing and talking about old times. I said, Hey, whatever happened to Tom? And he said, yeah, well, Tom moved to Kauai about 20 years ago. And I said, well, that, that, that explains that. I go, you got to move to Kauai. It's kind of like a black hole, you know, no one ever hears from you again. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, Tom's Bethany's dad, don't you? And I said, Tom Hamilton is Bethany's dad. He said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, my phone wasn't working down there. So he said, I'm going to, I'm going to give him your phone number when I see him. And then, you know, so I got back to Billabong and, and uh, I'm listening to the hundreds of messages you get after you've been gone for a month. And uh, all of a sudden one comes up and says, Hey Jim, it's Tom, Tom Hamilton. Well, I used to be Tom Hamilton. Now I'm just Bethany's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I kept the message for until it wore, until it, until it automatically, you know, erased for about six months just because I got a, such a big kick out of it. So we started talking, and I was telling him about this exhibit, and I said, you know, what we're doing is we're gonna. I, I get a picture of, of of a woman, and then I try to find the wetsuit and or the the the, sw- the swimsuit and the the surfboard, and then I put the swimsuit and the surfboard, you know, into the exhibit with the picture, and then people can see, they can relate. And he says, well, do you want? Do, do, do you want Bethany's wow. board? And I said, what board? He goes, you know, the board. I go, you got to be kidding me, right? And he, you kept it? And he said, yeah, it's up in the rafters. And quite frankly, I'd rather have you guys have it than us. Wow. And I said, well, sure, we'd love to have it, you know. And then he said, well, do you want the, do you want the swimsuit too? Oh, my God. And I said, you're kidding. You got – he said, yeah, what are we going to do with it, you know? So he shipped them both over, and now they are – kind of our we call it our Mona Lisa, you know. Yeah. It's I bet. A, I'm not it, surprised. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. that is like amazing and kind of eerie for people to see all at the same time. Yeah. Oh you know when people get to it in the museum you can hear the gasp yeah. when they walk around the corner and see it, you know. It's uh, I mean it's a bite that goes all the way to the stringer. Oh my oh, god. Man. Oh it's, yeah. it's uh, almost yeah, it's spectacular. It's almost like it's how how you would imagine day. how you would imagine a surfboard to look like like what yeah. say a shark yeah. is you know almost like that cartoon kind of um drawing of one of a, a shark bite through it so oh what an right. amazing thing to have in in the uh in the museum so yeah that exhibit then led on to the book that you've now published so i i, I had start i had i'd done another book um called first we surf then we eat and it was a cookbook um, that really was just an excuse for me to, you know, to to tell stories about traveling and and all the food that is there, and and I had all my life I'd loved to cook and my parents loved to cook and we'd lived in all these different places and so I'd kept all these recipes, <clears throat> and especially ones you know with friends that I'd stayed with in different places that I really liked the food for, and, and so this 
literary agent bid on it. And then she said, well, what are you going to do for your second book? And <laughs> I had written other books be before that, I should say. This was the first book that I would call was done by traditional publishing. Yeah. And before that, people would just come to me and say, hey, we'd like you to write this book. And I would give them a fee and they'd say, well, don't you want to have it be, you know, with the publisher and get and get royalties? And I'd say, no, I don't know anything about the publishing world. And I just, you know, if you pay me, I'm happy. If you sell one copy or if you sell a million copies, I won't be unhappy. So, you know, that's, you know, that's what we ended up doing. Yeah. And um, and so with this book, she said, well, what are you going to do for, for you know, what, what are you going to do next? And I said, um, well, how about. A history of women surfing. She said, "That's fabulous. I can sell that in a heartbeat. You know, the timing's perfect. Everything is is perfect for it because you know the Olympics are coming up, and and you know the whole Me Too movement, and and uh, you know the women's women's struggles, and et cetera, et cetera, and surfing sexy and cool and yeah. and fun. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to it. <clears throat> so I said, great. So I and I don't think I could have done it if I hadn't had this framework from the exhibit because I kind of had the the, the historical breadth down, uh, you know, the chronology kind of in place, but we really only did about 30 or 40 women because that's all we had time to do. So I just decided that I was going to do a deep dive. I started with the 1600s and, um, you know, the, the earliest surfboard that they have on record that they've discovered was somewhere in the sort of 1630s, 1640s or somewhere in the 1600s and it belonged to a princess. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That surfing was that that long ago, you know that that's really yeah. hard to comprehend, isn't it? But what an incredible thing, you know, like to and and the fact that it was a woman as well that that owned that board. Yeah, it, 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 and, and from there it just got all the more incredible. You know, I mean, I just discovered so many amazing things about about women surfing and about their, you know, about about the the, the struggle they go through versus, you know. Um, just your your run of the mill guy surfer who still has struggles, but nothing like the the women and and just the differences. You know, and there's I, I have this one little section called "It's Good to Be Queen," and uh, and and it's uh, talking about this this princess. And there's quite a bit of literature on her from from the uh, Hawaiian oral tradition. And uh, so anyway, I said just about the time that Queen. I can't even pronounce her name right now because I'm not looking at it. But, you know, about the time she was, you know, rolling across the waves and Boleyn's head was rolling into the basket. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I said, it's good to be queen. If you're <laughs> well, I was going to say, I know what you were saying, because I, I received the uh, the PDF copy of your book this morning. I was I was skimming through it. And I was looking at some of the names, and I, I couldn't even pronounce them whilst trying to read them, let alone <laughs> off memory. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But it's interesting you should say it like the women and waves, because we've spoken to one group that's in the UK here, which is Wave Wahinis, and uh, Yvette has set up a surf club specifically for women, and you know, women and young women. And there seems to be more and more of them. There's there's a few that I know of now throughout the UK, and I presume that's the same worldwide. But as you're saying, it says in the book, you know, a lot of it goes back to the, like the princesses and the queens and the, you know, um, what is, what's the title? The, the, the sport of goddesses or something. I can't remember what the first bit of the title was yeah. off the top of my head, but yeah, it's just incredible. That, that research must've taken you, well, <laughs> a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it does do that. And I mean, it, it helped that I knew a lot of women, you know, from surfing from, of course, the magazines and, and traveling and all of that. And, and there's actually a huge section. I should say there are several um, good sized sections of um, the surfing history of women in the UK. So, um, you know, there's there's Gwen. Uh, and I mean, I, I'm uh, I get the Christie. Pardon? Agatha Christie, is she in there? Agatha Christie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, um, and, and, uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like early 60s girls and, and early 70s girls and all the, and so I went through it all and, and, uh, and Roger was a huge help. He, he sent me, he sent me, uh, you know, the names and, the, and, and connected me up with a lot of the, of the women there. And I did about 120, 130 interviews for the book. Um, and, and there's probably between, there's over 700, not quite 800 women, um, that are actually in the book. Wow. And, um, so it's, it's really an attempt to be comprehensive because once you get into it, there's this, I mean, what do you, who do you leave out? You know, it, yeah. it's easy to do the top 
20, you know, and then you can sort of do the top 40 by being very selective. But then you get to a stage where, in you know, there's the longboard uh, women world champions and the shortboard women world champions and the, and, and, you know, I mean, all of a sudden there's just all these different um, categories of, you know, professionals and, and amateurs. And, and so they all have titles in there and they're all over the world. And uh, you just realize, you know, I have to try to do everybody. I, I want to try to get everyone into this book that is available. Of course, the closer you get to today, the, 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 the more inaccurate that becomes because yeah. I know I've missed people. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of women. There are a lot. I would say there are probably at least 50 women for, that I, that I mentioned from, um, from England or from your, uh, from, from the UK. Yeah. Well, I know on the, I was reading the on the back of the book and the women's international surfing association, uh, say that this is going to be the gold standard for women's surfing history around the world. So, I mean, you know, it's pretty in-depth, I think, there. I sure hope so, anyway, you know. Um, I'm really looking forward to, like, the the excitement among the women in particular has been really, really rewarding to me. I mean, there there are, the shops say, you know, I sent out a note that, you know, I just got this book and I sold four, like, online that day. Yeah. Um which is unheard of. I mean, in my in in my experience with yeah. books. So is, is it out now, or is it is it release date yet? So there, they they said I want a book, and and here's my money, and when it comes in, you you know I'll come and get it. A uh, pre-sale, yeah, yeah, pre-sale. Amazing. So so it actually the first edition is actually it may be sold out by now now, and we're going to have to do a second printing. So that's good wow. news. I mean, that's an exciting yeah. thing to have. And you know, one of the things that I was just I, I really was so excited to talk to you guys about is, is that I do know how passionate, you know, people in England and I mean, you you guys have doctorate degrees in surfing, you know, we can't even find people who have a doctorate degree that surf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, I know how passionate it is and I know that, and I know that more and more women are, are, are surfing there and, and I would love to, uh, you know, just to be able to get, I'd I'd love to be able to get to England. I'll tell you, I would, it, it was one of my favorite places and it really is one of my favorite places in the world. And, uh, and, and if it wasn't, if it wasn't so dang cold, it would be hard to get me away. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you do come over, then, you know, hit us up. we will be absolutely honored to go surfing with you. And now we have, um, a wave garden over here as well. So the water's not quite as cold in the wave garden. So. Well, in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, it's, yeah. it's just, where, where is that located? Um, I don't know if you know Bristol. Uh, so sure. it's, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's called the wave. And um, it's opened about two years ago now, coming up two years. Yeah. Obviously, they've had a terrible first couple of years with COVID because they kept getting shut right. down and opened again. But, you know, they're, they're still hanging in there and it's a cool place. It really is. It's been made, well, just perfectly. It's all like sustainable timbers there and <clears throat> the, the waves are really good. There's loads of different options and settings. And it, yeah, we, we, we're about 20 minutes away from that. Um, so yeah, if you wanted to come over and try it out, I think now it's is it twenty degrees in the water now yeah, in the 20, summer. Twenty degrees in the water, so I'm, yeah, so that's that's pretty that, that's pretty yeah. okay. What's yeah, that? board 20, shorts. 40, 60, yeah. 68 Fahrenheit on yours yeah, then, 68. yeah, right. Yeah, so uh, hey, that was quick maths, well done. wasn't it? That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good for me. Um, yeah, but like, so looking back at your like. On, on, you know, to write in the book and looking back at your whole career, what are your, what would you say are your standout moments, which you think, you know, the things that you're most proud of in your whole career? Boy, that's going to be a really hard question of a career. Like <laughs> one of the things I'm proud of is at Surfer Magazine, uh, developing the number of subscriptions we had. You know, I don't take credit for the fact that we made a lot of money during my era at, at Surfer because the market was just there, you know, it was growing and, and, you know, we just, we just, we, you know, went, went along for the ride. But when you, when you talk about subscribers and this is old, old history for people who are on the internet now, but you st- we still know that, you know, that, that the number of, of eyes, you know, and eyeballs are really important yeah. to any, the success of any, any media program. And when I started at Surfer, we had 13,000 subscribers. 
And when I left, we had 86,000 subscribers. Wow. That's quite and, an increase. And, and, that, and, and the, the thing about that that I feel like you know, I'm proud of because I think you can take credit for that because that's someone saying, I'm going to buy 12 products in advance for the year on the belief that it's going to be as good as the one I'm getting now. Yeah. You know, and that and that means you really have to understand your audience. You really have to be in tune with with your your reader and know what they like and what they and what they maybe don't even know they like. Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of have to be ahead of the curve with them. So, I'm really proud of that, I guess. And um, boy, I don't know. Well, I'm really proud about when we did the the crossing boat the, the crossing broke program with Quicksilver with the Indies Trader. Uh, one of the one of the programs that I that I started there was a thing called Reef Check, and it was started by a by a, a USC uh, marine biologist, and he had come up with this idea of how to map uh, an area of, of a reef to give you information about it, and it was intended to be a baseline. So we took a marine biologist on uh, the boat. On, on almost all of our trips and they would go out and do this reef check and and then we we turned that information over to to unesco to the you know to the united nations um um people and and they had a baseline for the health of a reef that were like literally as i said like probably a, a couple of hundred of them that had never even been discovered before or had certainly never been mapped and then you know many 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 others that you know that that we were able to give a baseline that said you know in 2004 or 2003 this is uh this is the this was the health of the reef this was the status of the reef and then if you come back you know whether it's getting better or worse you know you have something you have a baseline to deal with so that that i feel like was a contribution to some sort of good good in the world that i'm that i'm happy i was able to like be able to to help with yeah definitely because yeah. surfers are kind of environmentally minded anyway aren't they so what what an, an amazing part of that job to be able to give something back uh, you know for like for nothing you know you're there doing it anyway and that's what valuable information especially you know with the state of the way the world is at the moment anyway yeah 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 right one question we've asked people which is going to be extremely valuable i think from you is if you could surf one place in the world for the rest of your life where would it be and seeing as someone who has surfed probably the entire planet (laughs) and discovered places that with people that have never been surfed and places that have never been surfed what what would you what would you say that is so we kind of have to define it uh tighter like are we talking about if as it is today, or if it didn't have any crowds. If it didn't have any crowds, it was just you, and that was where you were going to surf for the rest of your life, or you and a few good mates. Wow, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, actually, I think as as funny as this sounds, um, I think it would either be Noosa Heads, or it would be Malibu. Really, and is is Malibu now one of your home breaks, as you'd say? Well, it's one of those places where you like paddle along. I mean, I, I surf Malibu about once or twice a summer, you know. Yeah. Um, and and uh, because it's always crowded, and you know, basically, just like lowers, you just have to pounce on anything that moves that isn't you know that isn't taken up. But if I could go back to, you know, to the you know the 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 era when you know when when tube steak had a shack on the beach and gidget was just showing up and 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 mickey was the only really good surfer there and yeah. you know if i could if i could have malibu or or noosa heads i surfed noosa heads in 1971 and uh you know if i could have it like that again you know i'd never surf anywhere else they're, they're just perfect point ways and and whether you're the best surfer in the world, I mean, trestles would be another one that I would I would sort of look at, but it, it doesn't compare to like to Malibu's length and 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 perfection, nor does you know or 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 nooses, and and I mean they're just perfect point waves in there, and that and you know whether you're whether you're Taj Burrow or Andy you know or, or Kelly Slater or or whether you're a guy like me, it's challenging. You know, you can put as much challenge into do it as you want. So it's a wave. They're makeable waves. They're kind of perfect waves. They're consistent, and um, and they're just so much fun to ride. Yeah, that's a uh, 
That's a hell of an answer. That was <laughs> that was a that was a really good answer. And uh, another another question for you, which is, as I say, someone with a career like yours in surfing, how much has surfing changed over your career, and do you think it's changed for the better or the worse? So that's what I have to have to think just a minute about as well, but. Um, Obviously, the appeal, in my opinion, of surfing is not competitive. And, I, and that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate and, and even enjoy immensely the competitive aspect of surfing because it, it showcases the incredible talent and, and it pushes you know, all of our abilities to learn how to, you know, to have more fun on waves by people who are that good. But I don't think anybody actually start surfing because they want to be a pro surfer. Yeah. I think an awful lot of kids start playing a sport and they, and they sort of imagine themselves at the end of the day becoming, you know, in in their, in, in their dreams, you know, becoming that. I don't think anyone starts surfing so they can become a professional surfer. I think, I think the appeal of it is kind of the opposite that is nobody tells you what to do. You don't have to wear a uniform, um, you know, you're, you don't have to compete against anybody or beat anybody else. It's all about having fun and enjoying this thing you're doing. And I think that still is the primary attraction of surfing. And I think what's changed today is the idea that, that up until a very short time ago, and by the way, this has changed again, but up until a very short time ago, the brands had tended to dominate the perception of the surfing culture. They had, they, 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 they controlled it not entirely, but they, they had a lot to do with the controlling of it. And it wasn't until I sort of stepped away from, you know, from the industry and realized how ridiculous it was to think that someone was cool because they wore this little, little logo on their shirt or their board shorts or their, or even their surfboard. Um, and, and, and how unrealistic that really is and and how maybe even unhealthy it is. And and one of the great things about the the current status is that the collapse of the brands have really sent the surfers back to a more, I think, authentic um, involvement with the culture. Yeah. So now you you know you you see kids shopping at thrift stores again, just like we did, because yeah. there wasn't anything there. Because they don't need to be, you know, whether they be wearing a, a a brand, and I won't name anyone because they're all they're all the they're all equally in, involved in this, yeah. whether they're super successful or not. But you know, they they and, and everyone says, oh, you know, the 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 culture's gone retro, you know, and and I said, kids don't drive Volkswagen buses because it's retro. They drive them because they're functional, yeah, because they can live in them. They can stick their board in them and lock it up without having to, you know, put lock racks on. You know, they they love a, a single fin with a big, you know, wide wide fin because they love. Like, you know, getting that feeling of loading up before you're turning and just getting this giant G-force spurt that you never get with three fins. Yeah. And those things are being rediscovered and the kind of pure joy surfing is, I think, being really rediscovered where people can ride any kind of equipment and not worry about it, can ride any kind of of board they can wear any color they want and over the years it's sort of been you know black wetsuit you know white white surfboard no logo to yeah. you know everything's got to be neon to everything's got to be this board short length and you would never think of paddling out on with with without the right board shorts and without the right surfboard in in most of the period of surfing between say you know 1970 and 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 2000 you just wouldn't do it. And yeah. now I see kids going out and one of them is, you know, five kids are all friends. They go out on an Alaya and they go out on a, on a, on a twin fin and they go out on a longboard and they go out on a, on a thruster and they go out on, on a, a boogie board and they're all having fun and they, and there's no judgment. They're all, they're, they're perfectly happy riding whatever equipment they're riding and there's there's absolutely nothing that keeps them all from having fun, and that part of it I think is a huge improvement. You know that there's women out surfing now and kids and and um, you know people on on every imaginable shape of surfboard. That's the really good side of it. Um, so I think in that sense it's it's kind of almost come full circle in a way. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I watched a documentary. Um, I think it was on um, YouTube or something, and it was it was a documentary about the old style of surfing in like the um, Malibu, San Diego, and they were saying on there that you used to be able to go down to the beach and you could tell who was riding the waves by their style. And it was more like, you know, everyone all on the same wave, more like a party wave, as they say now. And it was that sort of vibe and everyone was always stoked for everybody and they were always happy to see other people surfing. And then, as you say, that competitive and that, you know, aggressiveness came into it. And that's that seems to be drifting away from it again. I mean, it's is- really good with someone of your credentials to to think that, that that's the way it's going now because um, you're obviously your finger on the pulse you know there's seawater running through your veins isn't there so for you to see that and think that that's, that's really nice a really nice thought that that kind of side of surfing and the brands and all that kind of stuff is starting to fade away a little bit and it's down to the pure joy of surfing now and, and you know it's not I I, I, I want to make sure I emphasise that I'm not I'm I'm not uh, criticizing um, competitive surfing in any way. I love it. I think it's great. I think it progresses the sport immensely. Um, but I, I think it 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 will always, unfortunately or fortunately, be a relatively small group of, of people who are going to get to that level of performance, yeah. and that most people are just out there to have fun and enjoy themselves, and that. Um, I think I think that that it's come back to that realization now that maybe because the the really good surfers are so separated from you know from from the average surfer that um, you know people don't feel compelled to to have to try to emulate everything that they do. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. I think probably seventy to eighty percent of the people we talk to don't really care much about the WSL. They they say, you know, if something if something amazing happens and it's posted on social media, they'll see mm. it or whatever. But I know a lot of them don't follow the WSL stuff that's going on and they couldn't tell you who was who, apart from, you know, you've got like a few standout names like Kelly Slater or, you know, someone like that who, sure. who everyone knows. But I, th- I don't think a lot of people follow it. You know, there is a... Particularly in the UK. Yeah, there is a there is a group of people who do follow it and are really keen on it and have probably just really offended them all. But, you know, there's a lot of... Your average surfer now, mm. I'd say, doesn't really follow it. Or and it's like, it's like you said, Jim, it, you know, people don't start out to become a pro surfer. It, they start out doing it for the fun. So what what I was going to just finish up with and, and just say we, we've got a... a a copy of your book come in and we've got the pdf version as well um we're super excited to to read it we've had a quick flick through just prior to the interview so we're, we're gonna we're, we'll flick through read it and we'll put links to it on social media and in our notes for the show on our website okay great thank you so much that that that's really that, that's really kind of you guys yeah. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I hope I really would love to uh, to have another uh, another opportunity to to get back to England. I'll have to figure out how to do that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure know. there's a there's a job role out there somewhere which is uh, <laughs> going to be available right. for you. There's uh, there's that, and then you know if we if we carry on this list, we're going to be surfing with uh, Jim Kempton. Gregory Harrison, he's also said he'll come over. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> the list is growing bigger and bigger. Better get a bigger house for everybody to stay up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, we, we we'd love to surf with you one day, Jim. Oh, and and I don't know if you know this, but but Gregory and I were together just a few days ago. Oh, oh really? Yeah, really wonderful guy, and uh, he's an old 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 friend of mine. But um, but we, I'm, I'm also working. I know you guys are getting that. Now you guys are going to give me give me trouble again. But um, <laughs> I just teamed up with uh, with with uh, Bruce Brown's son Dana Brown. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's, quite, he's quite a he's quite an accomplished um, um, filmmaker himself, and we're doing an episodic television series on the history of surfing. And uh, um, so it's it's really fun. And we and and so I asked Gregory if he would if he would um, narrate um, for us. So he said, "Oh, you'd love to do that, you know. Do it for free." I go, "No, no, no. We'll pay you." Wow. So anyway, we, we went up. We went up to Santa near Santa Barbara to a to a um, to a recording studio and and spent uh, a couple of days with Gregory up there uh, just uh, just last week. Oh wow! Well, he came on the show and he was such a lovely guy. I mean, yeah, the, well, his voice is amazing. So I can I can understand yeah, why you yeah. why you've chosen him. 
Um, but as soon as that comes out, let us know and we will put it out to our listeners and, um, and yeah, people will listen. Okay. Thanks so much, you guys. Cheers. Thank you soon. Thank you, Jim. What an amazing guy. What an amazing life. Yeah. Super, super jealous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what to say. Like half the stuff we we just had that stupid thing again, where you know we forget we're recording a podcast and we just someone will tell us a story and we're just sat there in complete awe of just yeah. Well, just, we're, we're listening. I'm like sat with my my like chin on my on my hands, just kind of daydreaming of when he's talking. Like I went here and I went there and I'm like oh, imagine that, imagine yeah. that, and like saying the UK was such a big part of his yeah his life and career yeah that what well, that's great to hear that and he he knew all the spots as well yeah you know, I I really really hope he comes back yeah that would be imagine going out and surfing with him that would be incredible yeah. imagine going out and surfing with him and Gregory Harrison oh my god <laughs> living the dream yeah so his book women on waves is uh it's out now yeah you can order it on amazon but he said to, to us he'd prefer it if you bought it from a surf shop directly so yeah it's uh it's going to be in surf shops all over the place and it's going to be available in many different places you know or it's available from his publicist simon and shuster uh we will put a link to that on our website on this page for this podcast on the yep. show notes and we're also running a competition to win a copy of the book women on waves by jim kempton so keep an eye out on our social media on instagram and we will send out details on how to win a copy of that incredible book uh, history of women surfing yeah so before we go don't forget head over to Northcore and use the code surfshow and that will get you 15% off anything you order from Northcore. Uh this has been just just a mind blowing I mean like it's just mind blowing this this episode just to speak to Jim and like I can remember being younger in the 1980s <laughs> and uh <laughs> I can remember being younger and Surfer magazine was one of those ones, you know, I'd say, oh, well, I'd say actually mid-90s, and I can remember seeing, like, Wavelength that you used to see over yeah. here and, you know, different magazines like that, and every now and then you'd see a copy of Surfer magazine, and it was like finding the Holy Grail. It was yeah. like, oh, there's a copy of Surfer. Yeah. Dad, please, can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> no, get your own money. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, when you found that, like, I, I expect, you know, back then, you know, being a young lad, there was there, there was probably places available all over the place in the UK where you could get it. But I remember finding a copy of it and it being, like, holy grand and being yeah. like, oh, my God. Yeah. And that magazine, that magazine alone would be worth getting him on here to talk about. Yeah. But Well, he's, it was just an absolute honour to have him on. Yeah. And... Um, such a major figure for for surfing so yeah we really really appreciate him coming on and we hope you all really enjoy the chat with him yeah so thanks a lot for listening we'll see you next time cheers see you later